All right, if you would please open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking just at one verse this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verse 13 on page 810. All right, if you would please stand. This is the Lord Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The word of the Lord. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we do thank you for this word. It's a, it's a word of an encouragement from your son. And it's also a, a, a cautionary word, a, a word to remind us how important it is, the work that you've given us to do. And we pray that your spirit would open our ears and hearts this morning at MetroCrest, that you would give us grace, Father, to hear your word, to believe it, Father, to obey it, and to rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, open my mouth too and help me to speak this word faithfully. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Double-barreled prayer, one for all of us and one for me, because I really do want to get this right. I think this is perhaps uh, one of the most important texts that we've bumped into so far in this wonderful Uh, sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We've been looking at Matthew's Gospel for several Sundays, and uh, we have talked about his um, amazing conception, his birth. We've talked about his genealogy. We've talked about uh, his temptation. Uh, We've talked about his baptism. Uh, We've talked about uh, the way he went about ministry, how he reached out to people and called them in repentance to a relationship with him. And this morning, uh, in the section immediately following the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous and most misunderstood sermon of all time, uh, the Lord shifts gears in an important way. And on the basis of verses 1 through 12, he tells us something really, really important about what we are. And that's my very first point uh, this morning, what we are. Um, I've been at MetroCrest for two years, just over two years now, and I'll never forget the uh, process of being interviewed for the call here. I was serving at a little church in South Carrollton. I would never have voluntarily left Carrollton. I love Carrollton. I love the Metro MetroCrest communities. Uh, the thing that intrigued me was here was a church in Carrollton, just at the other end of the city, uh, that was a PCA church, which was uh, something important to me. And also a church that uh, seemed to have some interests that were very much on my heart. Now, that became clear to me in my very first interview. Some of you in this room were in the interview. And uh, I'll never forget in the course of the interview, one person, it might have been Barb Fowler, I can't remember. It might have been Barb. I know this is something she has feelings about. But she asked me a question. She said, uh, If your church closed its doors tomorrow, would anyone in the community care? She was quoting a question that 
uh, I think Tim Keller had written about and a number of people have written about uh, an, an understanding of, of the church's role in a community. And I think that's a very good question, whether it came from Barb Fowler or someone else. It's a good question to ask. If your church closed its doors tomorrow, would anyone in the community care? Uh, you could even expand the question and say, would anyone in the community know? Would they notice? I think the basis of the question is a tendency sometimes in church life uh, to become so inwardly focused and so focused on us and what we're going through and our struggles and different issues in, in church life. Uh, we get so focused on those things that, well, we, without sometimes even intending to, we, we sort of close the blinds, shut the doors, lock the gates, and we become very, very much an isolated, introverted organization. I'll never forget visiting Cambridge, England a few years ago with Leslie when our kids were little. We went and visited Cambridge, had a wonderful, unforgettable visit. One of the most memorable things, however, was a sad image for me. Cambridge is a vibrant city. It's the site of many of the events of the English Reformation uh, it was a city much used by God to bring many, many, many people to Jesus. Uh, and uh, at the end of the street where we lived for a few weeks, there was an old church. And uh, 200 years ago, this old church was the seat of a dramatic movement in the religious life of Cambridge. And it had been written about, it had been prominent, uh, it had been a center of much activity. But when we were there, 20 years ago or so ago, it was shuttered. There was a congregation there, which you couldn't have proved by any of the evidence I had seen, but I was told there was a little congregation there. But it had turned into this sort of theological debating society with no engagement to the community. So the building had been sitting there for hundreds of years, but over time, well, in the imagery the Lord uses in Matthew 5, it had lost its saltiness. It had just quit doing, and even more fundamentally, it had quit being what it was. And I think that is a really, really, really Scary thought. We'll get to that in a moment. I do want to begin with this dramatic statement from Jesus in verse 13. Um, he says to this ragtag group of people, at this point it's a very small group of people. It's his disciples who are gathered around him on the mountain, the mount in the Sermon on the Mount. And he is speaking to them in the presence of this larger group that eventually grew to include a few thousand and over time became several thousand. But at this early stage, it's Jesus speaking just to these early disciples and the people from the neighboring communities who had come out to hear what Jesus had to say. And it's to the disciples primarily in the presence of the others that Jesus says these really kind of shocking words. He said to this little group of people, you are the salt of the earth. What a remarkable thing to say. Uh, very few people knew they existed at all. 
But Jesus said that they had this extraordinary role, this extraordinary relationship with him that meant they were something very special. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the second illustration, image he uses in verse 14. You are the light of the world, an equally dramatic and also equally surprising thing to say. But this week, let's just think for a moment about this first image the Lord spoke. This first image he used to describe this ragtag bunch of people. You are the salt of the earth. The Greek word for salt is alice, halus. Uh, It's got a heavy breathing mark at the beginning, halus. And he says that the church, the you there is plural, you all are the salt, the halus of the earth. What does the Lord mean? the salt of the earth. I googled that this week, read a couple of books about it, read some brilliant words by John R.W. Stott, an Anglican pastor in London, read a lot of interesting things. I found one article that was particularly helpful because what it did was it gathered all the different meanings of salt as it was used as an image in the Bible. And the author's point was, when the Lord used the image of salt, halus, He probably had all of these images in mind. And I think there's something to be gained from thinking of this holistic idea of the role of salt in first century Judea. Uh, The first purpose of salt was flavoring. The second was preserving. The third was sacrificing. Some uh, sacrifices in Judaism included salt. Uh, The fourth purpose was destroying. When you destroyed a city, what would you do? You salted the ground. And actually that would happen in Jerusalem. And then the fifth purpose was fertilizing. In the first century world, salt was useful as a fertilizing element. And I think that is actually useful. And I think it is very likely that the Lord included elements of all this as he was speaking to the disciples. Uh, the, The role of the church definitely has a preservative effect. It definitely is expressive of the idea of of uh, sacrificial living. It is certainly descriptive of the coming judgment, which has been, the message of that has been entrusted to the church. And it has this enriching, fertilizing quality in the life of a community. I think all those are worth thinking about. And I've read some sermons this week uh, from different preachers and authors who tackle the idea of salt from each of those angles. And it's worth doing. Uh, It's an illustration, by the way, that is also used in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount uses this same idea. Uh, But there in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus very specifically leaves uh, the idea of saltiness in its most broad sense. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? So he he seems to have a very broad understanding there in Mark's Gospel of the idea of salt. But here, in Matthew's gospel, in this quotation where Jesus was preaching, we actually have a very specific application. Look at verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth, that dramatic, powerful statement. But if salt has lost its taste, at least here in Matthew's gospel, it seems as though Jesus is is focusing not so much on, on fertilizer, as he's focusing on salt as this virtually ubiquitous element in every culture, essentially every culture, 
over every time frame, this additive to food that brought richness and flavor and was a positive addition. And it seems as though here in Matthew's gospel, that's the dimension in which Jesus is focusing. And so if you'll bear with me, that's the focus I'm going to take today fully acknowledging there are many ways to look at salt and I believe it was possible the Lord had all of them at one time or another in his head as he uses salt as a metaphor for the church but here he seems to have the idea of the taste of salt I don't know if you're a person who likes salt I love salt I love salt too much Uh, you can carry the metaphor too far all right it's not saying that the church is like salt in every way saying the church is like salt in the sense that it brings a dimension to our lives through food that we wouldn't otherwise have. It is the the idea of the spice, the most basic spice, the most basic additive that we add to our food to bring this added quality. And that was true in Jesus' day as, as, as it is in our day. I'll bet you you've had salt today. In your breakfast, you may not have added salt, but it's added for you. Salt is, in our day, as in Jesus' day, virtually ubiquitous. In Jesus' day, salt could actually be, because it was so valuable, so ubiquitous, and so used, it was one of the ways people got paid, was in salt. So Jesus is saying to the church, you church, you are the God-given additive, which has a very special purpose in the earth. So let's think a little bit about that image. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, Sharon, I said I was going to mention you, so brace yourself, get ready for it. What Sharon Abibi does in Ethiopia is she has gone there in the name of Jesus Christ, to be salt. To bring something to the life of the people of Ethiopia that they would not otherwise have. A richness, a taste, something very gritty, very concrete, if you will, about the contribution that Sharon and the church has brought to the community where she lives. We heard about it in our adult uh, education uh, time this morning. She described in great detail uh, how she has gone there. And and her goal is to bring the presence of Christ, uh, not by handing out tracts, although I imagine you've handed out tracts, not primarily through handing out anything, but by going as the loving presence of Jesus. In fact, I think one of the slides in Sharon's presentation today talked about medical evangelism. Medical evangelism. Uh, Sharon's a trained social worker. She helps people who are facing all kinds of medical emergencies and medical situations, health issues. She does all of that as a representative of Jesus, as the salt of the earth. One person living out what the church is supposed to be and do. I can't imagine a more worthwhile ministry than what Sharon is doing today 
in Ethiopia in the name of Jesus. And did you know, Metrocrest is not only her sending church, we are the only church that supports her work. Now, there are lots of individuals representing lots of other churches, but Metrocrest, Presbyterian Church in Carrollton, Texas, recruited Sharon, commissioned Sharon, and has sent Sharon in the name of Jesus to go and be salt in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, a place I've never been, may never go, but she has gone to be salt. Praise God for you, Sharon. Praise God for you and your willingness to go and to be what you're called to be, what we're all called to be. Um, Pastor Scott Sauls, who's the pastor of a big PCA church, says, what does salty Christianity look like? I've called my sermon the salty church. Well, Scott Sauls talks about salty Christianity. He says, uh, in answer to his question, what does salty Christianity look like? There are many examples of this. All but one of the Ivy League universities except for one, were founded by Christians. Let's keep doing that. The first hospital was founded by Christian ministers and benefactors, and there are now hospitals all over the world whose names include the word saint, pointing to their Christian beginnings. Let's keep doing that. Uh, as a secular journalist, Nicholas Kristof wrote, uh, this is again quoting Scott Sauls, Evangelical Christians are the most self-giving, exemplary servants to the world's poor. That's from a secular writer. Let's keep doing that, Scott says. Let's keep doing that. He said Rembrandt painted world-class paintings for the glory of God. Beethoven and Handel made world-class music. Dostoevsky wrote world-class literature. Let's keep doing that. Evangelical leader Kevin Palau recently partnered with the openly gay mayor of Portland, Oregon, to resource and bless an underserved public school. Let's keep doing that. A little Baptist church in Texas pooled funds together to pay for an outspoken anti-Christian atheist's medical needs. Let's keep doing that. I have to say, I, I completely agree with Scott Saul's. That's, that's what it means to be the salt of the earth. It, it means doing and being what we are. We, are. we are to be the presence of Christ in Ethiopia, if God gives us the opportunity, and right here at home. We are the salt of the earth in Carrollton. In my own little tiny way, it's what has moved me to try and be a police chaplain. I don't have any aching desire to be a police chaplain, except it's a way to serve our community. Uh, it's what led me to join the downtown Carrollton Board of Directors, a ministry I'd, or organization I'd been a part of in the, in the past. It seemed right, and the session agreed, that I would take that on as a way of, of representing Metrocrest and, more importantly, representing Jesus being a presence in Christ's name in my own little tiny way. And there are examples all over this room of you being exactly what you are. 
your involvement in the community in the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I cannot overestimate, I cannot overstate the significance of your being salt in our community, participating, pitching in, joining in, helping, not on the sidelines yelling criticisms, but diving in and helping as best we can. I remember Mr. Rogers once said that in a time of disaster when when you don't know what else to do, he said, watch the people who are running to help. Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor and he understood that the impulse of the gospel among people who know and love Jesus is to help. That's being salt. Doesn't answer every question. We'll say more about this next week when we talk about being light. But it answers a fundamental question. See, the the role of the church is never to close the blinds, lock the doors, lock the gates, and huddle together. We may feel drawn to do that. We may feel for periods of time like we, we, we really, really ought to do that. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount, which is, again, describing who we actually are, if those things matter to you, then we will always keep the doors open. We will always keep the gates open. And we will always, 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 always seek as best as we are able to help, to serve, to pitch in. Please, please, please hear me. This is something the church does together, but it's actually something we all do as individuals, as well as as representatives. Uh, uh, Sharon is a a medical ambassador. Well, I want to encourage all of you to be MetroCrest ambassadors. MetroCrest ambassadors seeking to serve others consciously, intentionally, in Jesus Christ's name. And as I said, I know people in this room who are doing that. I know people who, I think it's every third Wednesday of every month for decades, have gone down to CCA, Concerned Christians in Action, rolled up their sleeves and brought out groceries to needy people who needed a helping hand. And Sharon, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that may have been at one time where we kind of met you. Is that true? No? We sent her there so she could learn to do it. Uh, I think that's another example of you being what we are. I personally know other people, I think of some people at Christ Church Carrollton, very specifically, who we met by reaching out and helping them in a time when they needed help. We all need help. And through our going down there to help them, they came and were able to help others. That's what salt does. That's the enriching quality of the church of Jesus Christ, serving, living out, being what we are supposed to be, what, we're, what we are, salt. Now, Jesus has some very strong words if we don't do that, if we aren't what we are. So this is the, the second point in my sermon using a, a funny language, but I think it's accurate. What we are when we're not what we are. All right? What are we when we're not what we are? Well, Jesus tells us. 
He says, if salt has lost its taste, if salt has quit being what it's supposed to be, how shall its saltiness be restored? That's, that's an interesting question. For one thing, salt doesn't actually lose its salty flavor. They find ancient salt and it's still salty. You know what makes salt lose its flavor? It's when salt is corrupted with something. When things are added to it, when moisture or other kinds of minerals get mixed in. Salt is no longer something that is actually uh, fulfilling the purpose of salt. It, it loses its salty flavor, its salty taste. He says, a salty thing that is no longer salty is no longer good for anything. Isn't that a sad thing to contemplate? It is no longer good for anything. Some translations say it's useless. Well, and of course, salt that isn't salty would be useless. Throw it away. Trample it underfoot. Jesus uses very, very strong words to describe this idea of salt that has lost its essential quality. It isn't what it is. That is a scary, disturbing, troubling picture. I don't think how shall its saltiness be restored is entirely rhetorical. I don't think Jesus is simply saying it's impossible, full stop. Because, you know, if something has become what it's not supposed to be because it's been corrupted with something, what you can do is remove the stuff that's corrupted it. I used to be told if you added rice to salt, it would drain moisture out. I don't know how that works. I'm not a chemist. I'm a preacher. But it's a good illustration because uh, if, if water gets into salt, it, it's no longer able to be exactly what it's supposed to be. If anything penetrates the salt, it quits being able to do what it's supposed to be and do. Well, get rid of the corrupting elements. Purify it again. That's how you restore saltiness. By getting rid of the the things that we've added in, the, the things that have led us astray, the things that have confused us. Get rid of those things. And again, seek to be what we are. Now, I want to give a, a couple of quick words of application. Um, Metrocrest is in a, a new day. We're at the beginning of a new day. I've been here a couple of years. Some of the dust has settled. Some people have left. Some people have come in. All kinds of changes happened. This is a, a new day for Metrocrest. There are lots and lots of people here who have been here a long time. There are lots and lots of people who haven't. This is the day the Lord has made. What are we going to do now? How will we be what we are? And that's one reason I'm so grateful to EJ and Teresa and the mission team. Because they have made it their purpose in behalf of the whole church to look for ways and opportunities for us to be what we are. This little uh, diaper drive. This little diaper drive is an opportunity for Metrocrest to be what we are. We say we care about the unborn. We do. We say we care about mamas who aren't expecting to be pregnant. And we do. Let's collect diapers to help them in Jesus' name. 
We're talking about starting an ESL program. I don't know if you know this, but we've been having conversations for weeks, months now to talk about ESL. Turns out there are people sitting here in this room who have been part of ESL programs in the past. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for us to do as the church in a neighborhood where we are surrounded more and more and more by people who weren't born here? People who come from Ethiopia and Korea and Mexico and wherever they come from, the Lord is bringing them to us. It's important to send people there, but the Lord is bringing them to us. And guess what? They, many of them, almost all of them, want to learn English. So here's something we can do. And by the way, I learned just recently, you don't need to speak their language to teach them English. They actually want to learn English. They don't want anybody who wastes a lot of their time speaking their language to them. They want to come in and from the get-go start learning English because it's a language that will make it easier for them in this country to be able to survive, to be able to pay their bills, to be able to live a life that is full of blessing and, and gives them opportunities to serve. So ESL, we're, we're looking at that. We're trying to find ways that MetroCrest can be the salt of the earth by being that salt in terms of reaching out to people who don't speak English. There's actually a list of a half dozen things, initiatives, ideas that you've had. This isn't something the session I've cooked up. These are ideas that come from you, interests, passions that you want to be a part of. Well, you see, those are ways at this new day where MetroCrest has the opportunity in Christ to be salt around the world and right here in our neighborhood. So many different ways, and we can talk about those as we have opportunity. But that's what it means to be salt. That's what we are called to be. That is actually who in Christ we are. My prayer for us is that we will do that, that we will live that out.